Hi, welcome to episode three of season two of The Artist's Creed. My name is Drew Miller. I'm producer of the Rabbit Room Podcast Network and conversation partner with our host, Steve Guthrie. We have had so much fun talking extensively about um, each part of this blog series that Steve wrote last year called Spirit and Sound. All of season two is based on that blog series where we can just really dig deep into some big questions that came up in Steve's blog posts. Uh, So this episode is called God in Motion, and it corresponds to the blog post of that name as well. So if you want to read that at rabbitroom.com, feel free to go there and search it and find it. We talk today about all kinds of things, Tolstoy's theory of art um, and its outworkings to this day, even in consumer culture, tensions between individualism and the social dimension of art, uh, what the word media means, um, and so many other things. I won't spoil it for you, but I hope that you enjoy, and thank you so much for tuning in. The Nicene Creed says, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so in this episode, we're going to be talking about that phrase, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And um, the blog post that goes with this doesn't mention this, but it's actually one of the points in the Nicene Creed that's filled with controversy. Believe it or not, Right. Um, those uh, that little phrase, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, that and the Son part, was um, the occasion for well, one of the biggest splits in the church. But um, there's actually, so usually when people talk about that phrase, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, it's the split that they're talking about. But there's actually um, a lot, to talk about um, in connection with that phrase, who proceeds, besides just the controversy. We can talk about that too. Mm -hmm. But um, there's other good stuff that oftentimes we don't get to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's kind of a structure to your post that I I want to follow. Um, Don't worry, there is structure (laughs) to your your post. Um, But you've depicted how the sounding world proceeds outward to Mm. the listener Mm. and what it reveals in that procession. And so specifically there are three uh, different sort of concepts that jumped out to me about Mm. how that happens. Um, And the first of those is the idea of address of sound as addressing Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was just such a cool choice of words. The second was its articulation of the invisible, mm. how sound makes uh, sensible what is unseeable. Mm-hmm. And then the third is the indistinguishability of breath and presence, how they're nearly synonymous. I want to start with that idea of address. Yeah. Um, because you made a very subtle point that Hmm. both art and spirituality are so um, often conceived of as inward activities that take place completely internally that don't require an address of any sort from another person. 
And, um, and you wrote that hmm. when we are met by breath, we are addressed, approached by the activity of another that proceeds towards us. Yeah. Spirituality then is not simply adopting a different perspective on things, nor is it simply getting in touch with my own inwardness. Rather, breath meets me from outside in its liveliness and livingness. It is not under my control. Hmm. So you're rephrasing. Gosh, that's so good. I wrote that? Oh, it, man. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Struck gold. I feel so much. Yeah, and I, now I feel like I shouldn't say anything else. Nothing, nothing I, I say is good. I think that sums it up. Let's just stop there. Yeah, that thanks for episode. being with us. Um, All right, we'll see you next week. <laughs> uh, so. No, but it's, it's true where you think of, I mean, when you think about being spiritual, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, just as that phrase is tossed around, you know, you kind of think of sort of turning inward. Right. Um, and there is, I mean, that kind of language is there in the Christian tradition too. Um, but that if we're thinking of, spirituality like in the as spirit duality you know that mm-hmm. which has to do with the holy spirit of god then what we're talking about is being met by the breath of god that something outside of me and as jesus emphasizes something that i'm not able to control yeah um so i'm not kind of sheltering inward moving into a space, um, you know, over which I have command, but really being, um, you know, being met with something from outside and over which I I don't have control. That's a different, um, and, you know, of course, I think in terms of my own spiritual practice as a Christian, it includes silence. It includes sort of kind of looking into my heart or whatever, But it's good to remember that spirituality has this dimension of being addressed and this kind of, this um, wind of God, you know, that's unpredictable Mm -hmm. and nobody, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. Yeah. And even to complicate matters more, even if we are just talking about the domain of the inner life, um, whose inner life is really one voice? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Inner life is a dialogue. Mm. Um, between multiple voices and mm. it's so inextricably linked to hearing other voices in the rest of our lives mm-hmm. that um, in some ways the purpose of being alone and being looking inward is to allow those voices to resonate and to mm-hmm. um, filter and process and understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could say that there's never a completely solitary moment, you know, there's, there's right. not some, uh, isolated, um, you know, equivalent of like an isolation booth in a studio where all you hear is yourself, because yeah. even if all you hear is yourself, well, what's that other than everything right. you've ever heard before from other people. And, right. and so that sort of reciprocal nature of, of, um, conversation and voices and, um, and breath is just, uh, it's, hmm inescapable you can't get away from it yeah no that's i think it's a good insight it really Mm -hmm. is if art and spirituality are so often understood as such inward activities how this might be a history lesson but how did they develop that reputation in the first place and um and are there any like practical uh ideas that you have around just reminding 
ourselves that there's more to these things than curating a playlist and, you know, reading a series of books that sound mm. nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there probably is more than one answer to be given. Um, and maybe a diff- one answer also for how have we come to think about spirituality that way? And how have we come to think about art that way? Mm-hmm. Um, Beginning especially in the late 18th century, um, the idea grows up that um, the, the primary and highest use of art is for aesthetic contemplation. Hmm. So that um, the, the right way to engage with so for instance there are some things in the world that are useful some things that are tools some things that are um, implements you know for ordinary use and then there are other things that we just admire and contemplate aesthetically so we we set up um, kind of places that are set apart from everyday life like concert Hmm. halls and museums Um, where we can encounter works of art in relative kind of silence and without being disturbed by kind of practical concerns. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there is like an an increasing bias um, for a lot of reasons, philosophical and cultural, toward thinking of art as essentially kind of a... um, a passive and contemplative kind of engagement. Sure. Um, So not so much connected to society, not connected so Mm. much to activity, not so much connected to embodiment. You know, I I hear music and the way to engage with music is not uh, dancing or singing along or clapping in time, (laughs) but sitting and, you know, kind of reflecting. Quietly absorbing. Yeah. Yes. Um, and again, I you know, I think that that's a perfectly legitimate way to engage with music, but sure. I think it does. It's one thing that contributed to that bias and to thinking of it as something that is an inward activity. Another thing is kind of, and we talked about this a little bit last time, is kind of technological. Sure. Um, so that I don't know if um, I wanted to hear a story. I don't know, a thousand years ago, then maybe I gathered together with a group of people from my village and we tell our stories. Um, In the age of the theater, I go and I hear some other people tell me a Mm. story. Rather than gathering with uh, a community and we tell our story, I hear someone else tell our story. In the age of television, we don't gather together, Mm. right? And we hear somebody else tell our story. Um, but still probably all at the same time. You know what I mean? Like in sure. the age of network television, yeah. everybody at 8 o'clock on Tuesday night is probably watching one of three things. Yeah. Um, in the age of Netflix, we don't <laughs> gather together. Somebody else tells the story. And we listen to lots of different, watch lots of different stories, you yeah. know? So um, 
our consumption of art becomes much more individualized and privatized. That happens with music, that happens with storytelling, that happens with visual art. Um, mm. So art becomes less and less the activity of a community and more and more something that's practiced privately by an individual. Wow. That's fascinating because um, you mentioned a theory of art uh, in this post, I believe. Yeah, Tolstoy. Tolstoy. And it. I don't want to be too, I don't want to oversimplify it or sure. draw too straight of a line from <laughs> Tolstoy to Netflix. Like, that's not fair to Tolstoy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he is... Um, Maybe just get, give us a quick refresher about um, Tolstoy's theory of art and, and kind of the, the, um, the idea of expression, individual expression that's kind of in there. Sure. Um, and then we might be able to trace some of that yeah. into what it looks like to have the outworkings of that theory um, just all over the place in our daily lives, with whether it's Netflix or... Um, you know, earbuds or whatever it is. Yeah, the, the theory of art is um, sometimes called expressionism. Um, Tolstoy didn't come up with this idea, nor is he the only person who advanced this idea, but he gives one of the more famous versions of it. And um, he says that art is a means by which... Um, the passions, the feelings, the sentiments that reside most deeply in one person come to reside in someone else. Mm. So I have some experience of the world that moves me deeply. And then I, while feeling that feeling, I pour that feeling out onto some kind of media. Mm. And then you encounter that media and through that encounter, you come to feel those same feelings. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the metaphor that Tolstoy uses over and over again <laughs> is art as infection. Um, he, uses that, he uses that metaphor explicitly. And so that's just that kind of idea. There's something in me, there's some virus in me, okay, and I put it on a doorknob and then you encountered the doorknob and in that way, you know, what was in me comes to reside in you. It's that kind of thing. Beethoven is feeling, a, you know, a sentiment of exalted hopefulness as he considers um, the spirit of humanity. And he pours that into his ninth symphony. <laughs> and then as a result, when I hear, the Ninth Symphony, I have that same feeling that Beethoven was feeling. Yeah. And everyone collectively reached for their hand sanitizer while listening. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> no, kind okay. of a yuck factor in right. kind of conveying that. But That's great, though. And I, I again, I don't want to um, project my own baggage on backwards in history yeah. onto someone who could not possibly see um, where we are now, but it does feel almost like um, if you're taking that idea of infection, of expressionism, infection mm. uh, to its fullest extent and trying to imagine the perfect ideal of how that could possibly happen, mm. it wouldn't be too far away from the phenomenon of 
AirPods, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, like <laughs> someone way over separated from huh. me by history, time, space, whatever you name it, creates something and is able to pour this kind of um, immaterial characteristic or hmm. emotion or sensation or whatever into it. And it's transmitted to me. Um, it's zapped directly into my <laughs> personal brain yeah, yeah. Um, via this intimate personal listening device. You know, um, to me, that feels like, well, we did it. Look, yeah. we're, we're doing it. Like that's expressive huh. individualism. And, um, and I don't know, like you can correct me on, on if that's too hard and fast a connection. But no, I do it's feel really like interesting. I mean, I, I was actually wondering where you were going with that as you were starting it. Because, but I totally see what you mean. Hmm. Um, it's interesting because Tolstoy says the purpose of art is not pleasure. It's not entertainment. It's to create society between human hmm. beings, you know, that I would be able to encounter what is deepest in you. And so it's this isolation that kind of goes with the sort of like uh, um, AirPod universe is, you know, the opposite of what Mm. Tolstoy intended. Um, There is something that, you know, one of the critiques of Tolstoy's theory of art Mm. is that it makes, in a sense it makes the work of art a mere means to an end. In other words, if the, if the goal is I want, you know, I'm having this feeling of joy and I want other people to experience joy and I load it into this joy container. And, you know, what if instead of, what if instead of composing a 20 minute symphony, I just came up with like a pill, right? A joy pill. And I could just give everybody, and this pill will make everybody feel the same feeling of joy. Then, then I don't need the twenty-minute symphony, right? Because mm-hmm. the symphony is just the means to the end of making you feel, yeah, you know. And so that's, I think, um, that's a helpful critique of Tolstoy, right? Sure. Uh, there, and just to say too, I think Tolstoy's theory has some real insights to it. And I also think it doesn't work as a complete theory of art. Hmm. Okay. But it does have some real insights, but um, what, what the critique reveals is we don't just want an experience. We want an encounter. Hmm. Um, Or that, that, maybe we do just want the experience, but that, that art in human society, you know, gestures towards something deeper than just um, this made her giggle. Now it'll make me giggle. But actually I want to, uh, this, this sense of, you know, uh, of what Tolstoy is talking about originally, which is this idea of a genuine, the possibility of a genuine encounter between human beings. Wow. Um, and and it, it strikes me too that I mean you're right that there is there is an irony that 
the dissemination of media. Um, you know, can both draw people together and isolate people from one another. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the two sides of, you know, the, of the word itself, that mm. it Media. is something that mediates. Right. Um, it is a go-between, and that's a good thing. There's actually a great book on, I don't know if it's a great book. There's a good book on <laughs> the Holy. Fine. There's a fine <laughs> book. There is an adequate book on the Holy. <laughs> Maybe on, not read it, actually. The, <laughs> never mind. It's a terrible book. I'm not even going to mention it, in fact, <laughs> okay. by John Taylor called The Go-Between God. But that's oh, a, you mentioned it in this post too. Uh, did I? So yeah. there, there's a, um, that's a great name for the Holy Spirit, the go-between yeah. God. Oh yeah. Um, and it, that's what media means, right? It, uh, it, it is in between. Hmm. Um, but also we, um, something can go between or come between. Ooh. Two people, nice one. you know, oh, thanks. Yeah, no, that's really good. I mean, I was just thinking as you're forming that thought, like, well, the key question that we never ask, like we use the word media, media, media all the time, right? Right. Um, but we never ask mediated by whom? Yeah. Who's mediating? Yeah. And, uh, and that feels like, I mean, I feel like I'm just veering this conversation fiercely in the direction of my own personal baggage <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> with, with like digital media and just um, all these questions that I have. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're trying to form a, a robust critique of media culture, then that has to be the central question. If, you know, if everything is mediated by fill in the blank, like Facebook uh, YouTube, yeah. you know, what is it? And that is a strikingly different scenario than the mediation of God himself. Um, yeah. And I, I just wonder if there's more to explore there, the going between versus coming between and and what all is um, laden in this word mediate, um, intermediate. And there, and I mean, when you add intermediaries, you know, so um, you play, you pick up your guitar and play a song. And if you and I are here in the room together, then your guitar, your song becomes a way of mediating your presence to me. Mm -hmm. um, so there's kind of a... Uh, you know, relatively few intentions mm -hmm. that are at work there. But then, you know, if you upload that to Spotify and then there are all people who work at Spotify who are intermediaries mediating that. And their intention is not strictly to mediate to me what you wanted to mediate to me, but mm. they also want to mediate, you know, their advertising content and their sure. platform and their, and other artists, you know, and so I, by the, t you know, I no longer encounter just one voice moving in one direction. Right. 
Um, but that, that voice is accompanied by a whole set of voices who each are carrying something different to me and carrying me to a different place, hopefully, you know, and intending yeah. to carry me to some different place. It's so interesting. There's such a theological layer to a lot of these um, terms too. Um, sure. Because Christ is the mediator. Like that, right. that is a title that has been right. given to Christ um, theologically as the, the mediator hmm. of God to humanity and of humanity to God. Yeah. And um it just it occurs to me that in a world where so much is being mediated for so many different purposes from so many different people, where we're just so bound up in that web of mediation, mm-hmm. um, the the sort of uncynical, beautiful um, intermediary uh, encounter with with Christ can be, I mean, is what's going to save us, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's, there's something, there's something so rich and beautiful about, um, about that kind of um, go between, yeah. you know, that can be a real antidote for the cynicism of, of constantly being, um, mm. constantly being at least a few degrees separated from yeah. everyone and everything. Mm. Uh yeah that's good i as you were speaking like six points that i wanted to make lit up in my brain <laughs> go for it like like a golden path then, then but i don't know but, the but then no but then they all disappeared oh really um but no but wow. I, I think i i might oh. be able to recover a couple of them but okay. i, I lo- so when you say that jesus is the mediator um he is the mediator by virtue of being God with us. So Jesus isn't the way to the blessings of God. Jesus Hmm. is the way he isn't the one who directs us to life. He is life. He isn't the one who teaches us how to get to the truth. He is truth. And we could say the same thing about the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, Augustine um, was musing over what might be the best name for the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And he suggested that gift might be the best name for the Holy Spirit because he is, this is Augustine, this is from uh, De Trinitate, because he is the giver of gifts and he is himself the gift of God. And then there's a quote here that I have uh, in the blog from Didymus the Blind. Not a great people used to have cooler names. <laughs> it's way yeah, cooler. He could be Drew the Drew. The, uh, I don't know. I could be Steve the Fuzzy. I haven't shaved for a couple Steve days. Steve the Fuzzy. Or, or, quoting Didymus the Blind. <laughs> anyway, Didymus the Blind. The Holy Spirit is the fullness of the gifts of God. And the goods bestowed by God are nothing else than the subsistent Holy Spirit. So hmm. uh, if what I'm wanting to mediate to you is, here is idea such and such, you know, <laughs> um, then maybe that can get in through your AirPods. But 
the the mediation, the the go-between work of the Holy Spirit isn't that. It's not just that the Holy Spirit is like, I want to teach you these three things or give you these three gifts. The Holy Spirit is God living in us. Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will send another comforter. He will be with you and will live in you. Mm. Um, and so maybe part of the, maybe where media becomes problematic is where what's being mediated is something other than myself. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, yeah. Um, that, you know, here is a hook that I'm giving you in this song, or here is a catchy tune, or here is a <laughs> profound idea, or here, but... Um, the further we move away from almost self-disclosure and vulnerability. Um, there's a better transparency, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the, the more problems we run into. Yeah. So it's this, this kind of giving of the self that, so, which is to proceed. So, you know, I think, you know, art in its most beautiful and profound moments is this kind of proceeding from one to another, where it's a moment of genuine encounter. Here is, here I am not just sharing with you an idea, but here is the world as it looks from where I'm sitting, you know, that I'm giving hmm. you myself. Um, hmm. That's beautiful. It kind of reminds me of a C.S. Lewis quote that I will now butcher. He talks about a painter who... Um, fell in love with painting as a child mm. precisely because this child saw the world. Mm. And, um, and so the quote, I don't remember how it goes, but the, the sort of nugget that I have in my brain from it is um, just the sense that to revere the tools of painting the brush and the canvas and the paint and the colors and to stop there mm. is to forget the source of that love in mm. seeing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's a corrective, a very gently corrective, beautiful um, sort of uh, insight to saying, Hey, put down your paintbrush and just see the world. Yeah that will help you paint, you yeah. know, if that's what you want. And um, that's beautiful. I love that. It's such a razor's edge though, too, you know, Drew, that like, because there's also a kind of Platonism yes. that can be like, listen, the brush and the canvas don't matter. All that matters is the idea that shines through them. And they're just mere tools. And and that's, so hard. that's destructive too, but what what you're saying, and you know that that idea from Lewis, I think, is absolutely right. That what we want um, is that encounter, and mm-hmm. the brush and the canvas aren't just kind of um, aren't just tools in a narrow sense, but they really are the means by which you know, kind of, we reach out and touch one another. You know. Um, the philosopher Michael Polanyi talks about um, how a blind man, you know, reaches out his 
his cane, you know, to experience the world through it. And that, that this is kind of like how we inhabit our bodies, that hmm. um, it becomes the, the means of encountering the world and one another. Um, yeah, that's gorgeous. Um, yeah, I mean, instruments, like we, the word instrument comes to mind. Yeah. Um, not just musical instrument, but the brush as an instrument that just hands as instruments that we, we are always being, having the world mediated to us yeah. through our bodies and, and through, to, to try to kind of, you know, um, chase down some ultimate source. And that's mm. kind of the Platonism that you're talking about mm. is just a mistake. It's mm. a fool's errand to try to find that pure, mm. Um, thing in itself before it gets to mm-hmm. my perception of it because we're incarnate creatures and we yeah. um, we are always being um, given uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit through yeah what it means to 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 breathe and be alive in our bodies yeah well and um, I see you have another question even just on yeah, on yeah, the back ahead. of that part of what What's unhelpful about the Platonism, and this goes back to um, that element of address, Hmm. is that ours are not the only voices in creation. So that, you know, the the paint and the, you know, the tone of the, you know, the the vibrating (laughs) string, you know, it has its own voice. Yeah. Um, And so... I, you know, when I'm meet, when I am, my presence is mediated to you by music. I come surrounded by friends, you know, all these mm-hmm. other voices that also contribute to that, that also address you. Right. Um, and they, they each have something to, to add to the conversation, you know, and they're not obstacles to be got around, but right. um, are part of, God's address to us is through the world that he's made. You know, the Psalms say, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. God is also mediating himself, mediating himself to us. And one thing you pointed out about sound in this post is that it, um, it can reveal to us the invisible. Hmm. And um, so it might be kind of fun to just land here on this really clever thought, I uh, I happened to think um, hmm. where you you wrote down in John three, Jesus appeals to the sounding of the wind in part to remind Nicodemus that there are powerful forces at work in the world, some of which are seen, some of which are not. So the sounding world has the power to remind us of that still. Hmm. And um, at the time when I was reading this, it was around Halloween and <laughs> I uh, foolishly thought that we would be able to find some way to to meet soon to do this, but uh-huh. COVID nineteen thought differently. Yeah. Um, but I wrote down on the heels of Halloween at the time. The first place my mind goes is the potential spookiness of sound, and it sounds like almost an unrelated yeah. idea. But I think it the idea of spookiness and um, you know the the cracking of a twig under boots or the whistling of a breeze through the leaves, um, an owl hooting faintly far away all carry this kind of yeah. you know uh <laughs> hair raising quality and and i think the reason for that is that we're starting to move into um 
potentially the the invisible, you know, mm. the implication, even if what we're hearing is actually an owl or a twig or whatever. Yeah. Um, the reason those things are spooky is that we feel like we're catching a little bit of something else too, something that we can't see. Yeah. Um, and there is a crossover between this idea of the uh, the frightening and the numinous or the the mm. supernatural, the spiritual. And so, uh, so I was wondering what overlap there is here between like ghost stories and encounters with perhaps the Holy Ghost himself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and we can, we can start to wrap up here and see where it takes no, us. That's, that's good. Um, there is um, a Jesuit scholar named Walter Ong that I quote mm-hmm. um, in this article. And, and uh, a lot of, a lot of the things that he wrote in this area have kind of been superseded or whatever, or been, hmm. been criticized. But he, he says that, you know, um, the visible world gives us a world of surfaces. Hmm. Um, whereas the, the sounding world reveals to us a world of interiors. Mm-hmm. So even if you, th- you think of, you know, if you go to a wall, you know, and kind of, if you ever kind of gone along looking f- for, you know, like where the beam is, where the two by four is. Sure. So you can, you know, drill a hole and, and hang a picture or whatever, you know, knocking and seeing where it's hollow and where um, there's something behind it. It's that kind of idea that the visible world mm-hmm. gives us surfaces, but the sounding world gives us interiors. Yeah. Um, it gives us things that we can't see. And I think it is both wonderful and um, frightening because <laughs> it's, it tells us that the world is more mysterious hmm. than we imagine that yeah. there is, we control less of the world than we imagine. We know mm. less of the world than we imagine. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, I mean, even, um, that's certainly true in our human encounters. So, you know, again, here I am loading my words onto my breath and sending them toward you across the room. But there are other thoughts in my head and you don't know what they are, you know? Mm-hmm. And all of us have those experiences where we sit and think, I wonder what they think of me, you know? Yeah. Um, do they like me? It's frightening. You know? Um, yeah. And so the, the, the invisible realm is frightening because, well, and interiors are frightening because it reminds us that there are depths to other people and there are regions of the world that aren't fully known to us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't want to overgeneralize here, but I'm going to overgeneralize here and Please. say that we're a very visual culture. Sure. And I wonder if that's, um, and I guess what I mean by that is, is we just, we try to see it all. We try to map everything out. We try to um, have as much of reality in the domain of sight, even yeah. if it's a graph or like right. some kind of way of expressing variables that otherwise would go unseen. Yeah. We try to make them visible and it, 
it occurs to me that that might be a way of exerting control um, and, and that the sounding world, it's mysterious precisely because it eludes us. And, uh, and I, I mean, I just, I think of um, there, that must be part of why Jesus is the word of God. Mm-hmm. The idea that um, God speaking can um, share something of God's interior mm-hmm. in a way that, um, that, I mean, we never see God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's all over scripture. Um, we, uh, no one has ever seen God, but Christ mm-hmm. has made him known. And um, those are just some of the directions that I start to go in, in terms of how the metaphor and more than a metaphor of sound and word and breath and presence um, when applied to God, when applied to the yeah. word made flesh, um, it's frightening um, and it's mysterious and, uh, and it eludes us in precisely yeah. the ways that it should, I yeah. guess. Yeah, we know that we're dependent upon an address mm. um, that, yeah. you know, uh, left to ourselves, we can't know the mind of God, um, but mm. that God has spoken to us. Um, that yeah. The breath, which is the Spirit of God, has borne the Word, which is Jesus, to us and um, has made God known to us. But, you know, even that, um, that procession, mm. um, that making known of God doesn't, kind of then empty God of mystery, you know, Hmm. or kind of um, uh, make God known to us exhaustively in all his infinity, you know, that we we recognize at the same time. The procession both enlightens and reminds us of that God is beyond us. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so knowledge is both... Um, a gaining of access and a, per, a perpetual uh, reminding of the limits of access in a way. I don't know. I feel like there's a better way to yeah. say that. But no, really cool. you're right. And again, then, and part of it, part of what's at work there too is what proceeds from God is not information, but what hmm. proceeds from God in God's spirit is God. Hmm. Um, we need reminding of that. And so what God constantly, what God gives us is himself. Um, but you know, that's the other thing that I say at the end of that that article that, um, that a self must be given. Hmm. You, you can't take, um, a self from another. You can't, um, whatever it is that I hold in my heart, um, whatever it is that makes me, me, you can't um, seize that from mm. me. It has to be given to you. Mm, mm-hmm. It has to proceed from me to you. Mm. Um, which again is, is frightening and, and wonderful. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. That's a great place to, to land for this one. Good. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to see where we end up next time. Me too. So, thanks so Great. much. Thanks, Drew. 
This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.